Good morning and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are so glad you're with us this morning, celebrating our 14th anniversary as a church. Please stand and worship the Lord together with us. song I could ever sing, worthy of all the praise he could ever bring, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you, Jesus the name above every other the only one who could ever say the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever say in you alone 
in his letter to, in, to the Philippians said, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And what Paul was telling us is that God is not just the God for us in great times. He's also the God for us in our worst of times. And the best news of all is that he's our God in all times. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh, oh my soul worship his holy name sing like never before oh my soul i worship your holy name you're rich in love and you're slow to anger your name is great and your heart is kind for all your goodness i will keep on seeing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find bless the lord oh my soul oh my soul and worship his holy Worship your holy name. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh, oh my soul, and worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your. His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I worship your holy name. 
Greet those around you in the name of Christ. Good morning, La Jolla Community Church. Good morning, good morning. Hopefully everybody got a nice warm greeting this morning. How are we all doing? Good, there we are. You guys are much more lively than the first service. It's like, hello. No. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the director of student ministries here at La Jolla Community Church. I just want to welcome you here on this nice cool Sunday for once. I don't know about you guys, I am absolutely done with this heat. I am ready for fall, or whatever we pretend that is in San Diego. Um, I just wanted to welcome you on this wonderful Sunday. Thank you for choosing La Jolla Community Church to be your home this Sunday. Uh, I would love to draw your attention to the bulletin. You should have gotten one as you walked in. But if you want to open that bad boy up and write on the front cover, you will notice there is a space to fill in your name, your email, your phone number, just so that we can get to know you a little bit better. We are a church that is rooted in prayer, and we believe in partnering as a family to join in in celebrations and prayer together. So if there's anything that you would like to share with us, whether it's a praise report, a new child, whatever you would like to put on there, we want to celebrate, praise that with you. Or if you've got a prayer request, someone in your life is sick, something is struggling that you're going through, please put that, put that on there, and we want to partner with you. Prayer is real. Prayer is powerful, and prayer moves. And so if you want to partner with us, we would love to join you in that prayer. So go ahead and fill that out. The wonderful thing is it's perforated, so you can tear that bad boy right off. In a couple of minutes, the ushers are going to come by to collect the offering, and if you want to throw that right into the offering basket, that would be wonderful. We would love to join you as I throw things on the floor. Uh, a couple of other things. There's a lot of really, really fun stuff that's going on here at LJCC that I would like to let you know about. The first and most important, it is our 14th anniversary here at La Jolla Community Church. Give yourselves a round of applause. 14 years serving the kingdom, 14 years to do an amazing work for the kingdom of God. And we want to celebrate that. So today, immediately after this service, and this service, I got that wrong last time, Immediately after this service, there is going to be a brunch happening out on the patio. If you've got little ones, don't worry, there's a bounce house. Just stick them in the bounce house. We've got a couple of great people that are going to be watching the bounce house. So if you want to have a conversation with some friends, maybe somebody new that you didn't, you noticed was in the room just now and you didn't get to greet them, feel free, do that after the service. It's going to be a fantastic opportunity to join together as a community. We are a community church. So I want to spend as many opportunities as we can just getting to know one another. So please join us after the service for that. Another really great thing, speaking of community, life groups have just launched. Raise your hand if you're in a life group in this church. Woo! Life groups are awesome. Absolutely love life groups. If you are new and have no idea what a life group is, it's just a group that lives life together. 
Um, I know they have, they have curriculum that they go through every single week, but it's just a, a group of believers coming together in community to learn about the word of God and to grow together. So if you would like to join a life group, there's a new life group that just opened up on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. meets in the Welcome Center right here every single Wednesday. If you've got a student in junior high ministry, it's an even more perfect opportunity because it runs at the exact same time that your student is hanging out with me in junior high group. So if you would like to join a life group, um, Wednesday, 630, is a, there's lots of spaces available in that one. If Wednesday doesn't work for you, um, please email Barbara Imamoto or go on the website at ljcc.org to find other life groups that will fit your schedule. And last but not least, the last thing I would like to inform you fine, ladies and gentlemen in here, uh, is the women's retreat, which is happening on October 18th to 20th. If you have ever been to a camp as a student or been to a retreat as an adult, you know that if you are a woman in this church, you don't want to miss this opportunity. This is not just me trying to push some event so that, you know, we can get attendance numbers. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me either way. The women's retreat is a fantastic opportunity for you to pull yourself out of your life and surround yourself with women who are in the same life state that you are in. Maybe they've been through what you're struggling with right now. Maybe they've got kids that have gone and left the house and can pour some wisdom into your life. Whatever season of life you're going through, there's someone else in this church who has done or is going through the same thing and wants to partner and pray with you. So this is a perfect opportunity, this retreat. Again, women's retreat happening October 18th to 20th. Um, the women are going up to Forest Home, I believe, to have a fantastic, fantastic weekend spending time with each other and with the Lord. So if you've got that weekend available, you'd like to go, please sign up on our website. Again, that's ljcc.org. If you have any questions or would like to know more about anything that's going on here at our church, please take a look in your bulletin or head to the website. Thank you very much. Have a wonderful day. Please join me in prayer. Oh, good morning, God. How blessed we are to be gathered in the holy name of Jesus. You are a wise, righteous, and powerful God. Your mercies are new each day. You see what we lack from your perspective and transform us to become more like you. We worship you and adore you. Silently, we come before you to confess those things that we did this past week that were not pleasing to you. Thank you that forgiveness is your grace to us when we confess and repent. Father, you have blessed and sustained La Jolla Community Church these past 14 years. All glory and honor to you. Thank you in advance for those you are calling to fill staff positions. May each one be a perfect fit at this time. We pray for expanded participation in all our Sunday service teams. May our church family have a winsome and fruitful impact upon our community. Lord, you promise to equip and enable all whom you call to carry out your purposes, and we thank you for that encouraging certainty. Father, we know that there are those among us or near us who are facing big challenges and who need a special touch from you. We now lift their names to you.
Lord Jesus, we ask that you would pour out an extra measure of love and trust and caring among all our life groups as they continue to grow and strengthen their faith together. We lift up our youth teachers and ask that they be blessed with wisdom, creativity, and a joy-filled energy. I pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in our congregation, that we may be sensitive to your nudgings and still small voice, that we be amazed by the supernatural engagements that follow. And finally, Lord, we ask for continued blessing for your servant, Pastor Steve. We are so grateful for his careful handling of Scripture. The Bible truth is spoken and presented in writing on the wall every Sunday. May you bless him with every good and perfect gift from above as you, Lord, lead us into our 15th year. Our trust is in you. May we be found faithful in unity. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, I want to invite Chris Young to come up. Chris is our interim children's director. I want to introduce him to you and uh, have you hear from him. So, Chris, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so like Pastor Steve said, my name is Chris Young. Uh, I was born here in San Diego. My parents lived here basically all their lives as well. Um, I went to Patrick Henry High School, graduated there, and got saved in about uh, 2008, it was. Um, and then after that, a couple years after, I started serving at my parents' church down in uh, just north of SDSU. Um, and then since then, I've, uh, I've been working at a nonprofit, Urban Youth Collaborative, uh, since 2014. We, we serve the public middle schools and high schools. Um, then I also work at my home church down in La Mesa, uh, the shelter church, so... So tell us what you're doing uh, as an interim children's director and what we can do to support you with that, pray for you, contribute to what you're doing. So uh, we're, we're continuing to teach, you know, the Bible, teach the name of Jesus, the gospel, and so um, that's the plan, and it's not going to change, and so uh, volunteers would help. Uh, we would like at least two adults per class. We have the nursery in room one here, and then in room three or four, um, we'll have another class, and then depending on how many kids, there might be two classes there. So uh, we would like two adults per room, so if you could sign up, Barbara, or, or you could talk to Barbara or Mary um, on info for, for how to sign up for that. Um, and so we would, we'd love to have you there. If, if you want to just come and, you know, just watch and see how things are going, it, it's great to have a, a second set of eyes and hands, you know, all the time. Or if you want to come in and you want to do some small group activities, stuff like that, that, that'd be great too. Well, Chris, you and Erica were interns here, and God used you in a wonderful way uh, doing that. And now having you back is a real gift. So thank you for being here and answering God's call to be with us in this season. And I'd like to pray for you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that your hand is on Chris and Erica that uh, is a <clears throat> our, our blessed parents uh, and now expecting another baby. We, we pray that you'd uh, bless them with, with a healthy delivery uh, in, in the next couple of weeks and uh, that you'd give Chris the wisdom and discernment to be able to uh, build on the relationships he already has here, but also to help us to move children's ministry ahead into this new season. And Lord, I pray that you'd be speaking to the hearts and minds of people in this sanctuary right now. Uh, to give them a sense that you are calling them to be a part of supporting these families uh, that we're trying to love in your name. And so we commit him and this ministry to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you. Thank you. Well, we are starting a new series today. You see that on your bulletin. Uh, understanding God's presence in your life 
changes everything. <clears throat> Basically, we want to ask this question. What practical difference does God make in your life? That's the question that we're going to be asking and exploring in, in the weeks ahead this fall. What practical difference does God make in your life? And for you, perhaps, if you're here, not really being connected yet to Christ, you're saying, I'm here, I was invited to be here, I'm not sure what that looks like, that God could be practical in my life. Others of you would say, man, I've, I've, I've been walking with the Lord for a, a while now, I can't think of anything more essential than having him in my life. But we want to ask the questions, how this applies to us, all aspects of our life together. And so today, oh, we're starting with God in us. What does it mean to be in a Christ-centered community that allows us to thrive as human beings? What does it look like for us to be in that kind of community that allows us to, to reach our fullest potential, and not because of our own best efforts, but because we realize that God is actually doing a work in us that we get to cooperate with and participate fully in that produces change in us that we didn't think was even possible? In the midst of life's real circumstances, no matter what difficult circumstances you're facing right now, God wants to meet you there. <clears throat> he wants to take you through that and beyond that. And, and that's what it means to be uh, in a place that we're standing under uh, the living God. And, and then understanding what it looks like to actually be involved in a relationship with him that changes the way we see ourselves, uh, the people around us, the world around us, and gives us a larger sense of what our mission in life is. And so that's where we're going. And so to start... Uh, here's, here's the first big point of the morning. God created us for community. God created us for community. Uh, church is not a human idea. It wouldn't be great if we all got together in God's name and invited him to be a part of it. This is something that comes from God. God created us for community. And whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we all need community. Uh, this is our our. Our God-given uh, orientation as human beings to be in community. But we have a very big problem. And this is pretty true in most things in life. Anything that's worth doing immediately raises up problems. In fact, this is the basis for every movie you've ever seen, every story you've ever read. That the, the hero, the heroine, <clears throat> the protagonist in the story immediately realizes this dream, this duty, whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing, I believe I'm, I'm supposed to do uh, in, in my life, immediately a problem jumps up. And what does God do? God provides, well, in the story, in this case, uh, our story, God provides a guide. Who is our guide? Jesus Christ is our guide. The Holy Spirit is our guide. And this guide has empathy and authority and helps us to understand the shape of our problem and to see some possibilities for moving beyond it and through it. But we have to take some risks. We have to risk uh, success and failure in doing that. And so this is the problem with every human relationship. Uh, community is complicated. Well, except for marriages, they're not complicated. Um, <clears throat> um, well, families aren't complicated. Uh, most work environments aren't complicated. I guess there's some exceptions to, to, to what I just said. Um, but sometimes, in some places, community is complicated, right? Believe it or not, even in church, this is especially shocking to think about, <laughs> that in church... Community can be complicated. I know it's hard to put your head around. We've never had complications in 14 years of being a church. We've had situations. Uh, but conflict, I don't know. Yeah, you, you, you can't be 15 minutes into a relationship of any kind. 
that you don't start to have an inkling, I think we might be different. I think we might see things differently. I think we might have different preferences. I think we might have different personalities. What have I gotten myself into? I thought this was going to be the perfect situation, and you're not cooperating. <clears throat> this is one of the big challenges, right? Uh, believe it or not, even in the church we have this. And so we find ourselves in those porcupine situations. Uh, if you've ever encountered a porcupine, or if your dog has ever encountered a porcupine, it, it's not a good outcome for the dog. <clears throat> they bug the porcupine, the porcupine unloads all these needles in their face. Uh, running into a skunk. Uh, <clears throat> if you smell a skunk around your house, that, that faint skunk smell, that in light doses is actually not that bad. Stay indoors and don't go out to explore where the source of the smell is coming from. You don't want to encounter that skunk. If you've been walking uh, lately in the ocean, shuffle your feet. Shuffle your feet. You do not want to run into the wrong end of a stingray. And they're all over the place, right? Uh, I, I could go on, and I will. Um, uh, <clears throat> if, you're in, if you're walking this fall somewhere in, in a beautiful woodland environment and you see a tiny little bear, keep walking through the beautiful environment. Do not stop to inquire about the bear. Offer it something. Pick it up. Hug it. Snuggle it. <clears throat> it's not a plush toy. It's attached to a big, mean mama bear. And so these are the sorts of situations we, we encounter in life. Why? Because where two or three are gathered together in his name, there are problems. <laughs> this is not exactly in the Bible, <laughs> but you can see it from the Bible. Where two or three people gather together in, in Jesus' name, he is there among them. But we notice that, that even though he is among them, he's among them in their problems. Community is essential for our thriving as human beings. God has created us for community. And yet community uh, is complicated. <clears throat> a shipwreck survivor. Finally, um, a passing uh, uh, ship uh, saw the, 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 the smoke signals from this small deserted island. They sent a crew out there to, to see what's going on. There's this guy who's been living there for years and years and years. And they said, oh, my gosh, this is incredible. How have you survived here? And he said, well, you know, I, I fished. I, I found all these ingenious ways. Uh, of surviving, and <clears throat> let me show you around before I, I go back to civilization with you. And he says, well, this is my house. They said, oh my gosh, it's fantastically creative. Whoa, how did you do that? This is fantastic, beautiful house. Yeah, yeah, and, and here's my storeroom. Here's where I keep all my stuff, great. Here's my man cave. I gotta have a place to, you know, get away from what all <laughs> on my desert island. And, and this is my new church. He says, oh, wow, congratulations. This is really impressive. Oh, by the way, what's that building over there? Well, that's my old church. Nothing but problems over there. Don't go over there. My old church, this is my new church because this is where everything is really, really good. Uh, no complications here. Have you worshipped in your new church yet? No, but I'm, I'm going to, and it'll be perfect in my new church. Uh, we are attracted to community. Why? Because we're wired for it. But as soon as we get into a community, we're restless within it. And we start looking for other options. One of the reasons the divorce rate in America has stabilized at 50% is less people are getting married. I want to keep my options open. I'm afraid. I haven't seen any, a good track record in my own life and, and, and around me, so I'm not really sure I want to commit. I don't want to feel trapped. I don't want to feel stuck. I, I might need to do something else, but I'm, I'm intensely attracted to being in a relationship. We are wired for this. That's why we're attracted to God's community. It's God's nature resonating in ours. Because we're made in his image, his nature resonates in ours. 
uh, well, we're made his image, but there's a big, big problem, right? We're, we're, we're dislocated in that relationship with God, just like we are with our own being and with people around us, with all creation. Uh, there's a dislocation, and yet his, his nature still resonates in us because we're created in his image. No matter what your theory of how we got here, what techniques were at play, we know that we were created by God according to God's word. And we're made for a relationship with him and a relationship that would shape every relationship we're in and our stewardship of all creation. And yet something has gone horribly wrong. And yet even in that state of alienation, I yearn for God, but I can't seem to reach him. I yearn to be in a relationship with people, and yet it's so hard. <clears throat> I want to cradle this little baby and, and raise it up to be somebody that I have a deep, abiding relationship with. It's so complicated, isn't it? But we resonate with it because his nature resonates in ours. And so the nature of the gospel, this good news of God's rescue and redemption plan for all humankind, uh, is about creating community. God came into the world to create community. And so the word that the Bible uses for this fellowship he calls us into, this community he's shaping, is the word koinonia. And koinonia is the personal and functional, personal and functional, it actually works, uh, work that creates community. More specifically, koinonia is the personal and functional relationship that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit creates community. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God ordains it. Jesus makes it possible. The Holy Spirit empowers this formation of community. This is the community-creating work of God himself. It's personal, involves us personally. It's not a private thing. It's very personal. But it's functional. It actually works. That's why we can learn to understand it and to stand under it. And that's why it has the capacity to change us and to change the, the network of relationships that we're in and the organizations and the, in, in, in the structures that we get involved in too. There's something powerful here because of this community-creating work of God's Holy Spirit, attracting us into community. Well, that's a mouthful. Where did we get this idea? Well, from God's word. We see God promising a man named Abram that he was going to make him a family. He and Sarai, old, uh, uh, not being able to conceive a child, and they feel like we're not really a family yet. We've got staff, we've got servants, we've got wealth, we've got cattle, and all the things that would say you're, you're, you're a fully developed people. And yet we yearn for a family, and so God says, I'll promise you a son. Not only that will I promise you a family, I'll promise you a tribe. Not only that, I'll promise a nation. Not only that, I promise to bless all nations, all families on earth through you. This is where we get this idea of this community that, that results in what we would call the church. And then we see that the Old Testament prophets, God raises up these people, men and women, to speak to the condition of the people. Hey, I think you're getting off track in this community that I'm shaping. And there's promises given about how this will look going forward, but the people are still sort of in a fog. What will this actually look like? What will this Redeemer look like? What will this Messiah, this Mashiach of God look like? And so then we see Jesus coming into the world. We see these uh, then uh, disciples of Jesus and, and apostles of Jesus and these prophets, again, raised up in Jesus' name to say, this is what God has been promising all along. This is the community he's calling you into. This is the community he's shaping through his Holy Spirit, informed by his word. And so we see this in Ephesians uh, <clears throat> chapter 2 through uh, uh, chapter 3. Actually, through the whole letter uh, of, this, of this letter from uh, the Apostle Paul, formerly the Rabbi Saul, 
writing to people in Ephesus, uh, probably uh, second right after Rome, and eventually it eclipses Rome, is the most important city in the Roman Empire. And so he says to these people, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You're no longer outsiders to this community God is shaping. But you are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Now he's writing to people who are non-Jewish. They're Gentiles. So they're thinking, how are, we part, how are we part of this fellowship? How are we part of this family? What does it mean for us to be part of this household? We're not Jews. He goes on to say, it's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. He's the one that anchors it. He's foundational for this community. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. It's not just any kind of building, any kind of habitation. It's a place where God will be glorified and people will be blessed. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is incredible. How do they wrap their head around this? Who thought of such a thing? I thought our primary allegiance and our highest allegiance was to Rome and specifically to Caesar, uh, to our immediate family, to our tribe. He goes on to say, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. He's not discounting what preceded him. He's simply saying, all those people, starting with Abram and, and coming forward, they didn't understand where this was to go. They thought they did, but it was so shaped by their experience, their own cultural location and orientation, they couldn't see possibly where this was going to go. Does that resonate with you? You'd like to think you know where your life is going, right? We'd like to think, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm, pre- I'm working hard, preparing I'm going to grow up, and I finish high school, I go to college, I might go to graduate school, I'm going to pursue some kind of profession, something that reflects my skills. I'm probably, hopefully, going to get married or or not. Uh, I'm going to have children or not, but I'd like to see it go that way. This is what my life will look like. And of course, by the time I'm 40, all my problems will be behind me, (laughs) because I'll be so old and mature by then. I'll have life wired, and it's going to be awesome. Lainey and I were talking uh, between services about her 96-year-old mother. She's kind of frustrated that she's slowing down. Thinking, 96? You'd be thanking God every day you have a breath. I'm sure she does. But the idea that, gosh darn it, my body's not cooperating with me. (laughs) This is a mystery. I don't understand this. Uh, This was what the Lewis and Clark expedition faced. If you remember, these were some of the toughest dudes in the country. And Thomas Jefferson had said to Lewis and Clark, uh, we need you to go on this core of discovery and figure out what's out there. We've just acquired a lot of property. We think it's really valuable, but we have no idea what it's like. And as Lewis said to Clark, we're going to do that or perish in the attempt. So they took the baddest dudes of the day who were experts at, at, at traversing small mountains, old mountains, like the Appalachia. They were excellent watermen. They could take a canoe anywhere a canoe could go, and they did. But, but who knew the mystery that awaited them when they parked the car- canoes in front of the Rocky Mountains? 
They were heroes with a big problem, and they needed a guide. And a guide was provided them, the most unlikely, unconventional guide that they would have never expected, a, 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 a late teenage young woman with a baby in tow. And she said, you know, you face a lot of dangers here, both from the weather, the, the elevation, the altitude, the route. And by the way, there's people who already live here who don't like you being here. She had empathy and she had authority. And she said, you've got to take some risks and trust me to do something you never imagined doing because you didn't know it existed. They'd never seen, it's just hard for us to get our head around this. They had never seen anything like the Rocky Mountains. They didn't know such a thing existed. This is not a mountain. This is a mountain on top of a mountain on top of a mountain on top of a mountain. They could not canoe the mountains. One of them, after the, the expedition had completed its, its uh, task, they'd gotten to Oregon, they'd gotten to the Columbia River, and got to the Pacific Ocean. He said, I think I'll just go on a little tour. And he walked into Yellowstone. The first person to ever walk into Yellowstone was not a Native American. Mystery upon mystery upon mystery. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Every person is a mystery wrapped in an enigma, right? How do we understand ourselves but for God? How do we understand God but for him revealing to us who he is? How do we understand the complications of, of community within me and around me? How especially do I understand the mysteries of the church, the ultimate emotional minefield? I mean, families are emotional minefields. Sometimes things don't work in families, and as soon as the kid goes to the neighbors to spend the night or to hang out, things change for that kid. Why? The problems in the family, not necessarily. Just the family is, has a system. And then the kid comes home, and then, by the way, the neighbor says, i got to tell you, your son is the most polite child I've ever met. I thought he went to your house. You're talking about a different, not my, my son, no, you're not describing, no, no, he was very clear, cleaned up after himself, often to do the dishes, you know, um, it was just amazing. And you're thinking, that is amazing, <laughs> truly amazing. Uh, but, but churches are complicated, why? Because you get that times, you know, multiples. All these people showing up with families of origin, internalized ways of being and seeing and conducting themselves, expectations, preferences and needs and insecurities, and it gets complicated in a hurry. So welcome to the family of God. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church, uh, the home of problems, <laughs> the home of conflict. Why? Because that's the people that God calls together to be his church. God has a horrible habit, a pernicious tendency to call imperfect people together, knowing full well that what they will encounter when they get together is conflict and problems. And he calls it the church. So where are you in your faith? Are you exploring Christ, growing in Christ, committed to Christ, Christ-centered? Where are you in that journey? Maybe you've said, you know, I've stayed away from church because I I, I, I've had exposure to it, and uh, it gets messy in a hurry. But I'm so compelled because now that I'm walking with Christ, I want to know more, and I think maybe that's where I'm supposed to go to grow and to experience a Christ-centered community. So I'm going to give it a shot. So you're welcome here. Here's why the church exists. This church exists, to glorify God and bless people in his name. And so full disclosure, we fail at this. 
We fail miserably at this because we are a perfectly normal church. Welcome to a perfectly normal church comprised of, of abnormal people. You are home now. These are my people you're now saying, oh my gosh, no normal people in this church? I'm among friends. Or maybe enemies, but at least they're like me. They're conflicted. They, got, they were conflicted when they got in the car to come here. They were conflicted on the way over. They were conflicted when they got out of the car. They were conflicted when they walked in here. And right now they're wondering, how do I get out of here seamlessly and unobtrusively? This guy's reading my mail. It's uncomfortable. The church fails at this. Why would you be surprised? People fail at everything we do. Just to clarify, if you have a perfect marriage, would you please stand up and tell us all about it? If you have a perfect family and perfect children, would you please, please, for our sake, stand up right now and tell us how you're accomplishing that so that we can congratulate you and then also call you a liar behind your back. <laughs> People fail at everything. That's why we need Christ. That's why Christ came. He didn't say, if you get your act together enough, and here's my minimum standard, I will show up. You got to be this tall to ride the ride, right? At the big theme part. We're fallible people learning to be faithful people. That's the point of Jesus' church, not to fail, but to learn how to thrive against all odds. Against our better judgment, because you know, I know it won't go well. It'll start great, and then after two or three seconds, reality kicks in in every human relationship. But here's the good news, that Jesus' church is not defined by, primarily by the people in it. Jesus' church is defined by Jesus among his people. Woe to the church that defines itself by the people in it. Dear God, I pray for that church. You should come to our church because we're awesome. Do you know how pernicious that is in America today, the self-promoting church? I saw an ad, oh, this is a couple years ago now, I saw an ad for a church uh, that was starting and it, it, it was billing itself as the most loving church in San Diego. I thought, there's some people who need some therapy. Because if, you, if, you, if it was a mature effort, it would say, the most in need of love church in San Diego. Come help us learn how to love one another at this church. We need all the help we can get, right? That's, that's the full disclosure. So the church is not defined primarily by the people in it. It's defined by Jesus among his people. And when Jesus' church is disrupted, what happens? He is dishonored and everybody gets discouraged. What would possibly disrupt Jesus' church? People saying we don't need Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We invite Jesus. We invoke his name constantly. But we'll take things into our own hands because we think we can do a better job. This is every one of us. This is not some secret message. This is all of us are capable of doing this. And when Jesus' church is disrupted, he is always dishonored and we get discouraged. This is Satan's great strategy. He wants to distract us from focusing on Jesus. If you ever read that wonderful book by C.S. Lewis, The Screw Tape Letters, Screw Tape, the senior tempter, <clears throat> working with Wormwood, the protege, and he's guiding Wormwood and getting people to, to reject Christ, uh, uh, to not go toward Christ, to leave Christ. 
and Wormwood informs him that, hey, I've got this brilliant idea. I'm getting them to look at the Bible, and they'll see how, that it's just wrong. And, and, you know, Screwtape is beside himself. He says, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't let them look at the Bible at all. Under any case, do not let them see God's word or the theology that comes out of it. Then we've lost them. Keep them distracted. Let them be annoyed with each other's bad habits and, and, and ticks and fallibilities and, and, and personality quirks. Get them focused on each other and what they don't like about each other. Do not, under any case, let them focus on Jesus. When we stop focusing on Jesus, we disrupt his church. We get in the way of what he's trying to teach us about being a community that's centered around him, supported by his word, empowered by his Holy Spirit, sustained by his grace, guided by his truth, nourished in his love. For what purpose? For mission. To be internally connected and then part of this wonderful external movement of God moving through the world saying, there's, there's a God, he loves you, and I've sent some representatives to tell you about it and to demonstrate for you what this looks like. So the first big notion of the morning is this, God created us for community, which leads to the second thing. Well, we're his body, we're his bride, we're his building, and sadly, we're also his burden. We've touched on some of these, these terms, you know, the building that becomes a temple. Uh, we're a body, we're a family, we're a household. Uh, in this also, this letter in Ephesians, he talks about the equivalency of marriage and Jesus and the church. We're the bride of Christ, this beautiful bride for whom he would give his life and did. But we're also his burden. Uh, theologians have described the three, the three humiliations of God. God being humiliated, and specifically Jesus and his humiliations. How could you possibly talk about God coming into the world as a humiliating act? Well, that was it. The first humiliation of Jesus is the incarnation. That God leaves the, the grandeur of heaven and comes into the world. And what does it tell us in John's gospel? We didn't even recognize him. And to the degree we thought he was unique or different or special, we rejected him. God came into the world and we didn't even know it was him. Paul writes to some people in Philippi, northern Greece, Ephesus being in modern-day Turkey. He says, you know, though he was God, he submitted himself to becoming a servant, a doulos, a slave. He submitted himself, and at just the right time, God raised him up so that every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This was the first humiliation of God. The second humiliation was his crucifixion, that God comes into the world to redeem it, to save it, and allows us to push him around and then push him out of the world at the end of a bloody stick, to nail him to a cross. And of course, we know the backstory that he, he submitted to this because he loves us. He came to save us and would not let anything step in the way or stop him from fulfilling that mission. But a humiliation, uh, a wonderful German theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, called him the crucified God. Philosophers can't get their head around that. How could God be crucified? It makes no sense. Why would he allow himself to be crucified? How could God, in all of his magnificence, glory, and power, possibly submit himself to that? He humbled himself. So he's the second humiliation of Christ. The third humiliation of Christ is the church. That's the best you could come up with? After all that incarnation and crucifixion, the best you could come up with was a bunch of quibbling, petty people in every age and stage of human history. I don't care how big the cathedral is, how beautiful the decor is. These people can't get along with each other. In every language, you can't get along with each other. 
Every church tells the same story. It was perfect until we all showed up. Because we had this awesome idea of what church could or should be. And then we all got together and it kind of fell apart. And I know whose fault it was. So let's return, though, to why the church exists, to glorify God and to bless people. Here's how we do it, according to Paul, writing in Ephesians again, chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip, to build up, to empower his people for works of service. All kinds of service. Service for one another, service together on behalf of Christ in the world. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and, the, and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, fully developed. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be big babies. We will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Who is he referring to? Well, he's referring to generally everybody, because we all, 100% of us, have this capacity. And he was also thinking of some specific people who were coming in and disrupting the churches he was ministering to. What does deceitful scheming mean? Uh, it, it's sowing seeds of destructive uncertainty. Destructive uncertainty. Well, what's destructive uncertainty? It's, it's, it's sowing doubt and making illusions, sometimes outright statements and claims that can't be supported by fact, but couched in, in, in a form that you'd say, I'm not sure if they really said that or they didn't say that. Or they, did, they said they didn't mean that, but that's exactly the impression I got from what they said. And they being all of us have this capacity if we choose to. Deceitful scheming is sowing seeds of destructive uncertainty. We see an example of this in, in, in Genesis 3. Satan says, did God really say? Did he really say that? And of course, the, the human being responds by saying, we said if we touch that tree, we'll, we'll die. Which is a mischaracterization of God's command. He didn't say if you touch the tree, he said if you eat of this fruit. No, no, he, he couldn't have possibly meant that. Go ahead and touch it. He didn't die. Destructive uncertainty. You set people up to make decisions and choices that ultimately undermine their well-being, disrupt God's movement in the world, and that bums out people. We're, we're, the, we're nothing but full of good intentions, are we not? Every single one of us has the capacity to, to put in motion unintended consequences I've got a better idea. Let me be in charge of the church, and I can, like, I'll can i sort it out. Right. Any one of us could sort it out, but we won't be able to bring it all together. Therefore, there'll be parts that still won't work very well. That's why we always defer to Jesus. That's what he's saying here. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him. Him, who is the head, that is. It's all about Jesus. Not spiritualizing our issues or complicated problems. Uh oh, it's all, let's just focus on Jesus. It's not a way of, of denying issues that we have to deal with. It's recognizing the only hope, the only answer, the only solution to our issues is Jesus. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows 
and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We all have a contribution to make, a part to play. Now, when it says builds itself up, it's not saying it's our job to build up the church. We've already made it really clear, I think, that it's about Jesus building up his church. The church belongs to him. But rather, us taking our responsibility in our part and participating fully. Why? Because he said already, we're heirs together, we're members together, we're sharers together of this wonderful thing that God is doing. So this describes being a church for one another. A church for one another. Why? Because of Christ's presence in each one of us. Christ in us gives us the capacity to be available to one another, to be for one another, to be used by God to bless or correct, sometimes rebuke, to build up, to partner with one another. I need you. You need me. We need one another. We have different roles to play. If we don't, if we don't uh, take responsibility for our role, we're letting the body down. At the same time, we can't walk around saying, no, no, you should do your thing differently. No, I don't like what you're doing. But together we say, Lord, what is it that you're doing to equip us to be your body in full, to be this building in which you inhabit by your spirit that, that blesses the people in it and people far beyond it? So community is being with and for one another in Christ. Does that make sense to you? That's why we talk about it being a Christ-centered community. Community is being with and for one another in Christ. So you can't show up and say, I'm just here for Christ. I don't have time for you people. Oh, really? Well, let me tell you something. You'll know that you're here for Christ because he is pointing you and connecting you to people. That's how, you, that's how it'll be confirmed for you. Because if Christ is in, in working in your life, he connects you to people in a way that makes you for them and gives you exposure to them so that they, they can be what you need. They'll be for you. So in Ephesians 4.2, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Not like worthy as if we're earning it. If I do, if I do well enough, God will accept me. He'll make me worthy. No, rather, he has made us worthy in Christ. We're new creations in Christ. We're no longer spiritual orphans. We're beloved sons and daughters by faith in Christ. And he's made us worthy. We have full acceptance. That's what Paul told us earlier. And because we have the worth, we get to live into that life that he has uh, called us to receive. How do we take practical steps to do that? Well, by being completely humble and gentle. Humble means I, I have things to learn. Gentle means I need, to, I need to treat people carefully, not because I'm walking on eggshells and they're porcupines or skunks or snakes or stingrays or something, but they're, they're fragile. People are resilient, but people are fragile. We present a good show, but inside we're, we're very fragile. So we want to be humble and gentle. You know, when you go to the doctor and you got an owie, Every doctor is tempted to do this. Is it here? Oh, yeah. Are you sure? Right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every doctor I know will say, yeah, I know. It's the weirdest thing. I go like this, and I have to do it again just to, you know. So we want to be gentle. We also want to be patient, he says, bearing with one another in love. One another. One another. When we stop being for one another in him, we stop being a healthy community for him. When we stop being for one another in him, we stop 
being a healthy community for him. Community dies when people stop caring for one another as Christ cares for his church. How did Christ care for his church? He came seeking it. He came sacrificing for it. He laid down his life for it. He broke the power of death and sin for it. He rose again from the grave. He ascended into heaven. He gave us his Holy Spirit. Christ has done everything possible. Everything possible for his church. Why? So that we could attend church? No, thank God. So that we could be for one another. So we don't attend church, we are church. We are the church. We're the gathered people of God, learning to care for one another. And community dies when we stop doing that. And everyone has their reasons, their rationale, their justification for not caring, and then quitting. But really, there's no reason for us quitting being for each other. Uh, one of the, how many of you like country western music? So you like both kinds of music, country and western. Okay, so talk about you know roots American music. Country western music informs every kind of music in, in the country. It seems. What is it? Uh, country music is three chords and a story. As somebody described country music, it's three chords and a story, uh, and, and it's a powerful. I'll give you one example by George Jones, uh, deceased. Uh, one of his famous songs. Uh, it, it moves me every time I hear it. It's called "He Stopped Loving Her Today." Are you familiar with that song? Go listen to this song uh, and, and have Kleenex in your hand. Because even if you think country music is lame, uh, you're going to be deeply moved by this. Because you think, oh, that's an interesting title. He stopped loving her today. What's that song about? Well, it's about a man who said he'd love her till the day he died. So when the, all of a sudden George Jones sings, he stopped loving her today, you go, oh, that's weird. He just walked out on the road. Wait a minute. He died. That's why he stopped loving her today. He died. He loved her in season and out of season. He never gave up loving her. His heart was broken because she wouldn't return his love, but he finally stopped loving her because he said he'd love her until he died. Oh, my gosh, what a song. Three chords and a story. G, C, and D. We have a song, and the chords in our song are G, C, and D. God came down. Those are the chords for the song. That he sings in us. God came down. G C D. Sometimes it sounds flat, sometimes it sounds sharp. But those are the chords. And what's the story that those chords support? It's this He never stops loving us. He loves us forever and ever and ever. Amen. His death couldn't stop him from loving us, nor will ours. He keeps loving us until the day we die and then forever after. Why? So that we will learn to love one another in this life and beyond. Our dear sister Linda Andreessen passed away this weekend. She was a petite, bubbly woman who would greet you if you drove in on the church property. It makes me teary-eyed even thinking about her. She's just a sweet, sweet person. She had some very big challenges in life. Uh, but you couldn't be with her and not feel the joy of the Lord in her. Uh, and so she still loves like she's loved. She gets a love forever. They'll celebrate her life on uh, the weekend of the 21st. And so for us, it's loss and grief. Uh, for her family, it's loss and grief. But it goes on and on and on for her. She's immersed in this love that goes on forever. 
And she shared it with us in a one-another mode in the days that she lived. So my third point is this. The one-another passages in the Bible call us to humility, love, and unity. Do you know there's 59 of them? 59 of these statements about one another. Love one another, care for one another, be kind to one another, submit yourselves to one another, humble yourselves before one another. 59 of these descriptors of what it looks like to be for one another. And they're all about either humility or love or unity. Do you think a church needs those three things? Do you think our church needs those things? Humility, love, and unity? Do you think we could maybe up our game with more of that? I think so. And this phrase, one another, is alelon in Greek, alelon. And if you say it fast, it sounds like all alone. But really, it's all for one, right? One another means all for one. All for the one God who makes us all for one in Christ. And when we finally understand it and experience it, it makes us laugh and cry. You know this. You know this. Every time you've read a book, every time you've seen a movie, every time you've heard a song, it somehow sets up that big human problem that we can't connect and resolves it through love and humility and unity. It moves us deeply. That's why guys insist on theaters being dark. Because if we get all teary-eyed, it's just an allergy, dust in the air. No, I wasn't crying. Was I sniffling? Oh, yeah. Asthma thing. I always get it at the end of a movie. It moves us deeply to realize, wait, you love me? You accept me? You're there for me? You're putting up with me? You're being patient with me? You're giving me a second chance and a third chance and a 250th chance? Yeah. That's how powerful this all alone is. It's one another. Tears of joy, relief, amazement, gratitude. Do you love me that much? Yes. Only God can make that happen. And in his church, he makes it possible now and forever. So today we, cel we celebrate 14 years of one anothering, and we have the scars to prove it. 14 years of one anothering. And we have the bumps and the bruises and the breaks and the scars to prove it. That's a story. There's a lot of stories and, and, and chords that would support a great song out of those 14 years. What will it take to love one another this year? More love. More humility. More unity. Basically, commitment. How do you restore a dying marriage, a willing man and a willing woman? If either are not willing, there's no marriage. How do you restore a break between a child and a parent? They have to be willing or there's no relationship. Unless we're willing, nothing can happen. The good news in this equation, if you want to call it that, is that God is always willing. And the question is, will we be? God is always willing to show us how to love, to show us how to live, to teach us how to be humble, and loving and unified. Willing people willing to love one another like Jesus loves them is the secret. That's the secret sauce of being a healthy, effective church in which people thrive and flourish. What does that mean? This means giving your best to others in Jesus' name. Do you give your best to others in Jesus' name? In everything you write, in everything you say, in every act that you do, in every thought you think, in every prayer you make, in every gesture that you extend. Does this represent, this is my best, my best effort to love you, my best effort to care for you, to express one anothering with you and for you. Giving your best to others in Jesus' name. 
is what makes a church great. When this church months from now is overflowing with people, when a year from now we have a massive parking problem, what are we going to say? Oh, better music, greater, better preaching, better food, better facilities. No. No. People will ask, was it this? Was it that? No. It was all the same. Pretty much we do what we've been doing. What is it? What's the secret? We've got to know. We just learned to love one another. We just learned how to love one another with humility and openness and a sense of expectancy that God actually wanted to give us this capacity. And sure enough, he did. It's kind of a pain now because if you don't get there early, you don't get a seat. And it bums me out that we don't have one service. We have multiple services, and I don't get to see all my friends all the time. But yeah, blame it on one anothering. You want to keep your church small? Don't do any one anothering. Resist that urge. Because it's a strong urge. When you walk with Jesus, that's the urge that comes out of us. I want to be there with one another. If you do, this church will thrive and grow and bless many people. Are you prepared for that? None of us are really prepared for that until we say, Lord, teach me how to express these one another virtues and practices and behaviors by your strength, guided by your word, empowered by your Holy Spirit among your people. So, Lord Jesus, that's our hope and our prayer. That that would be our experience. That would be the story that we tell, the song that we sing. That we will love one another until the day we die and far beyond. Not because we're so great, but because you are. And, Lord, as we continue to worship you, as we bring our tithes and offerings to you, most of all, we thank you that you have given us the capacity by your incredible offering of love and life and salvation to us, we get to offer that back to you as the offering of this morning is now received. We pray this in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. You give life, you are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. You give life. You are love. You bring light to darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken great are you lord it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour So we pour out our praise to you only. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is 
If we can pray for you about anything that concerns you or a concern you have for someone uh, you care about, go right out the door and around the corner to our prayer garden. There'll be somebody there to have a prayer with you. You don't even have to tell them what you want prayer for. Just say, pray for me. Or if you have something you want to tell them about, they'll pray for that. Uh, if, if we can help you take that next step in your relationship with Christ, if you don't know Christ, don't leave today without saying, okay, Jesus, come into my life. Give me this, this gift of salvation relationship with you. Um, we want to help you do that. If you want to take that next step and grow, get into a life group, as you heard earlier, whatever we can do to help you go deep in your relationship with the living God, joining in a congregation like this or finding another congregation close to where you are, we, that's what we're all about. We're a part of God's spirit on the move in the world through every culture, every place, every ethnicity, every age and stage. You are part of that if you're part of him. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Shall